Hi, everyone. This is Eric, and today's episode is a very special one. We have guest host Luke Cavanaugh on, and we're real excited about his future in podcasting, and I think you're really going to dig this episode. So enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the Spirit of EQ podcast. I'm your host, Luke Cavanaugh. I'm a new host of the Spirit of EQ podcast, and uh, I'll introduce myself a little bit further and some things about myself as we get into the conversation. But first, I want to introduce my guest today, uh, my friend Zara Shirazi. Uh, there are a number of reasons why Zara's on the podcast today, having a conversation with me and for our audience. Uh, the first of those is that Zara is a world-class optimist. Um, and we're going to go into the topic of optimism. I have the data to support the claim that she's a world-class optimist, and she has the life story to support that claim. And then we'll take it a little bit further into Zara and I's friendship that we've uh, struck up recently over a period of uh, some time working together and then some time just talking about things we're interested in. It's a connection that kind of that spans continents and cultures and political divides to connect in some very human places um, and some really interesting connections that we have uh, in, in our life stories. Um, so. Zara, welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. Introduce yourself for us. Thank you very much, Luke. Uh, this was the first time that uh, anyone has called me world class in anything. So I feel very proud to be called in uh, optimism. So thank you for that. It's my pleasure to be here. It's very exciting to have this talk uh, with you. And um, i like to give a little bit of background about myself. Um, I've been grown up in Iran um, in a very loving family with um, a lot of entrepreneurial uh, spirit in our family. My father uh, starting to work when he was seven years old by his own choice. And uh, my brothers um, and siblings all being influenced by his mindset and the great team that uh, him and my mom made. Um, growing up, uh, there were both sides of positive and negative that a child can experience and uh, I think that my uh, definitely my personality is a mixture of what I've been going through what I've been inspired by and um, I'm looking forward to uh, exploring different areas uh, of that today with you. Uh, one big change uh, in my life has been that I've moved to Sweden six years ago uh, pursuing my the new chapter of my life here and this uh, six years has been such experience uh, in many different levels that sometimes I cannot even wrap my head around it um, but it just feels extremely lucky to be in this uh, place where I am today and to be able to reflect upon what has happened. And uh, is there somewhere that you'd like me to go into uh, more depth? Yeah, I've got, gosh, there's so much there. Um, uh, something that comes to mind immediately is, of course, the the cultural change, I guess, of moving from from Iran to to Sweden and what that's meant for you. Uh, really interesting territory there. Let's start with um, today. What's your business today? What are you doing? What are you doing in in Sweden, professionally speaking? So I can say my professional uh, career title is a brand strategist. Um, I have a struggle with titles as I've been in this pursuit of finding myself and getting to know myself and trying to fit that into a few words. I, I find it very difficult, but mm -hmm. I can say professionally in the past 12 years, my career has led me towards being a brand strategist. Mm -hmm. I think my passion for getting to know people, uh, I have implemented that into uh, a branding agency that uh, uh, I have today um, called Shiraz and Darian, and I run it with my partner. And um, we started from a graphic design and photography studio in Tehran and as we went on just by listening to our clients and listening to their needs we grew into the branding agency that we are today and um, 
I think that is greatly influenced by my love to explore the outside world and to explore other people, what is their visions, what what is it that they are passionate about? And uh, I feel that my contribution to the world and to the people who we work and collaborate with is to like help them bring their vision into, into this world. So this is what I've been doing uh, for the past 12 years. Mm. So I hear, so, so something that I hear coming through too is the orientation toward purpose. Um, and you and I have been having a conversation about EQ for a little bit of time now. Um, this is an EQ related podcast and I work with a framework uh, from um, a company called Six Seconds, um, which has an, an EQ framework of eight basic EQ everyday competencies that anyone can learn to improve their EQ and to get better, better outcomes in their lives, um, more desirable outcomes in their lives, whatever those are to you. Um, one of those is one of those is exercising optimism, which I said we wanted to go into today. Another one is is about pursuing noble goals. Um, and that's what I heard coming through too in your your orientation toward, you know, how do I want to serve the world? How do I want to serve my clients? Um, helping helping their energy come through, helping their brand vision come through. Wh who are some of the clients that you've worked with in that work? Oh, that is a very good question. We have uh, had the chance to work with many different countries. We actually counted it recently and it's more than 20 countries that we have worked with and many different like cities, people with a very um, variety of background and culture. And that um, that is something I've been reflecting on actually recently. Uh, I have always been very interested in culture and uh, learning the differences uh, between cultures and growing up in a family where my father was constantly um, dealing with different people, even different countries. Uh, so I think in a way, we were exposed to different uh, ways of thinking and living. And um, the reason I think I found that interesting was that I was deeply interested in exploring the world outside of me. And I believe the reason for that was that I was looking for a way to get to know myself. Mm. So circling back to the... Uh, change I've been going through in these six years, moving from my country and from the comfort of my family. I think that the need for exploring outside, which always has been in me, was in a way the need for exploring myself and getting to know myself. What am I good at? What am I? What are my weaknesses? What is it that I want to change in order to get to the place that I see in the next stage of my life? Mm. So uh, having that, having that passion for working with different cultures, that has uh, helped us uh, in working with small to very big organizations as our um the way that we got to know uh, each other was working with ikea and i got the chance to work with ikea through um uh, doing an internship at an interior design agency here in Vecco, sweden and uh, i was lucky enough to work with you in the project that we were doing and um IKEA is one uh, one of the examples of the big organizations we've worked with, but uh, we we have been working with small companies around the world uh, in Sweden, in Iran, in Spain, Italy, and uh, the industries that we mostly have worked with is lifestyle and um, health and hospitality. That has been something that uh, has been reoccurring for us. Mm. So let's see, hold that thought. I really want to hold that thought about exploring different cultures and using that as kind of a canvas for exploring yourself. That's that's super fantastic. A couple of things before, by way of getting back into that, um, you mentioned how we connected on a project at Ikea. And I have, one thing that comes through about your ability to kind of combine different cultures is that we were, I was working at Ikea at the time and we were working on an office redesign project for an office that was based 
in Philadelphia. And uh, one of the fantastic ideas that you came up with, Zara, I, I think I can describe it in a way, hopefully, that people will understand. But we were looking for some way to, actually, it was your idea, I think, to, was some way to make make the, to combine sort of the IKEA culture and, and visual image um, with, with the culture we have of an office that was based in the Philadelphia area, which if you've spent any time in Philadelphia, I don't know, this also has its own culture to it, its own uh, culture and pride to it. Um, and Zara came up with this fantastic idea of the, if you know, the most people I think know the the person, uh, I, I, I call him a man, but I think you're not allowed to call him a man. I think it's been established that he's a non-gendered individual who is in the IKEA instructions, the cartoon the cartoon guy, I like to call him, who, you know, tells you to stop <laughs> or is, is always there in the IKEA instructions. He's one of the most recognizable cartoon characters in the world, I guess, because so many people shop at IKEA. Um, and uh, you came up with this fantastic um, illustration for, for, for the wall of the IKEA man standing on the steps of the uh, of the of the uh, Philadelphia Art Museum, looking out over the city with the IKEA store kind of there in the background in the Philadelphia skyline, and then the IKEA man, of course, wearing boxing gloves and his arms <laughs> outstretched, boxing gloves and trunks, like that iconic <laughs> image from Rocky. Uh, and it was just this really, really fantastic thing that I thought was so much fun. I think it was uh, something we were probably technically not supposed to do, according to the IKEA brand guidelines but you know i don't work there anymore so i can't really get my i thought it was one of those one of one of those cases where it was so much better to ask uh forgiveness than permission uh because it worked so well um, um but it, it was just it, it really was i mean a, a lot of fun and a great example of your ability to yeah. just have like based on a 20 or 30 minute conversation come up with a fantastic <laughs> idea that integrated different cultures um, but then it, coming back now, I have to kind of reclaim my my train of thought here. Uh, I talked a little bit about where we connect, um, a little bit of just about my background before I come back into yours. Is you know I I am uh, I'm from the United States. You grew up in Iran, right? Um, I have, I, I, you know, today I work with corporate communication and change management and EQ development in different types of organizations. I spent a long time working in the IKEA organization and a couple of others with uh, those types of topics. Um, and my my career path eventually took me for a few years to Sweden as well, where you are now. And we didn't live there at the same time. But one inter really interesting fact that. Um, is a crossover. You talked about um, today. You're you're joining us from Vekwa, Sweden, on the on the day when we're recording this, um, which is mid November. So in in three days, my daughter uh, my daughter Abby will turn eight years old, and uh, she was born actually in the town where you're sitting right now. Um, oh wow! Yeah, today, today we live we live in the Philadelphia area, but she was born in in Vekwa, Sweden. I don't know how close are you to the hospital. You must be pretty close if you live in Vekwa. Yeah, pretty close. I think it's. Like like a 20 minute walk to get yeah. there. So yeah, really it just brings out November 18th. It just brings out 2015, November 18th, 2015. And it brings, you know, knowing that I'm talking with you in, in that place right now, just brings back such fantastic memories of, of three or four oh. amazing days together with my wife and, and, and our daughter and our son, um, you know, and, and uh, yeah. re really it's, it's a really uh, nice memory for me. And it's a fantastic piece of synchronicity, I think, in our in our uh, interaction. But yeah, so so we connect through, um, you know, but but also the 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 um, uh, the contrast of our backgrounds, me growing up in the United States, you growing up in Iran. Uh, that's a contrast. I mean, there's almost, I guess, an elephant in the room, which I don't necessarily ever feel the need to explore with you. But I mean, for most of my life, our two, you know, the leadership of our two countries has been basically, you know, blaming the other for being the whole problem in the entire world, right? <laughs> and it's not really something I could, I, I don't really even know the roots of that conflict well enough to have a conversation about it. But I do know that um, when I, you know, I, I started to think about you growing up in Tehran, right? You grew up in Tehran, mm -hmm. yeah? Exactly. Were you in the city or were you in like the suburbs or? Um, kind of in the northern areas uh, of the city so not like in the city center Tehran is very big uh, yeah. so we were living like close to the mountains uh, yeah. in Tehran 
Yeah. Yeah. I started looking, you know, I started Googling a little bit about Tehran and, and some, I, I and it, you know, just to kind of find the background, how big of a city is it? And I realized I don't really know anything about Tehran. And I'm usually a pretty curious person in, <laughs> in, in matters of, you know, ma- major global cities and things. And I realized like, I really have never, I'd never seen a, a photo of Tehran and it's amazing. Like it, it looks like uh, almost like the photos I saw anyway, that with the mountains in the background look like some of the big South American cities that I've seen. <laughs> um, but it, I was reflecting on that and thinking, gosh, you know, this idea of, I mean, I have a the influence of how Iran is framed in my culture in the United States as just, you know, this kind of enemy, a, you know, a, a culture that needs to be closed off from the world, that needs to be shut off from the world. It's not really ever something I've actively engaged myself in, but then realizing I've never even seen a photo of Tehran or never actively pursued a photo of Tehran, I realized, boy, that's really had an effect on me. Um, so it's really interesting to hear about it. I think it will be really interesting to hear about growing up there from your perspective. So tell me about that from your perspective and from being in a place that, you know, has had such a powerful entity like the United States saying this, this country needs to be, this culture needs to be closed off from the rest of the world. Did you, did you feel that growing up there or in your, in in your adult life there? Yeah, absolutely. The this dynamic between Iran and the US has always been a very big part of uh, anyone's life growing up in Iran. And um, one aspect that I find very interesting uh, is that Iranian people have a very um, independent way of thinking when it comes to what is being shared on the news and what is being like trying to advertise to them. So I think I really feel proud about uh, how uh, Iranians think that it's like always second guessing something that is being exposed to us. And I think that exists in uh, everyday uh, life of a uh, of a person living there. And uh, of course, in the news, we are always being like uh, faced with like, yeah, this country is like the source of all the problems and the, like all the evil that is found <laughs> in this world. And but at the same time, this thought that there is nothing against like these two people of these two countries. They are not against each other. It's like more of a game that the governments are playing. And to me, growing up with a father who had very strategic thinking towards everything, I think I was able to understand that this is like a a board game that these two countries are playing. And even if they maybe show that today I'm winning because of this card that I have, another day could be the other one winning something else. And it's like this relation, love and hate relationship almost that these two countries have. So I can say it has been my understanding that um, America with all of the um, things that is being put out about it, it comes with both sides of the uh, story, having a lot of um, a lot of things are constantly happening in the US. It is the land of following your dreams. But at the same time, there comes difficulties with it. You really need to work hard. You really need to, uh, if you want to follow your dream, you really need to be 100% in it. And I can say that um, that has been definitely influenced by like my family relatives uh, living in the U.S. My Mm -hmm. uncle, he moved there uh, maybe around 50 years ago. And we've been in constant like uh, contact with each other. He has visited back and forth because his family is Iranian. uh, And we have always heard like firsthand uh, kind of news from him, like how is it to live in the U.S. as an Iranian? And uh, it is not all the things that you see in the news that is the truth. It is something else that uh, goes on under underneath the surface that is being presented. So wow. I think this has been 
my experience growing up. Wow, that's super interesting. So what area of the United States did your uncle uh, live in? In Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. And that, is that your father's brother, your mother's brother? Exactly. My father's brother. My father's brother. Okay. <laughs> Super interesting to hear um, to hear that all, all of what you said about how you feel that Iranians as a culture maintain this kind of healthy skepticism to understand. It was interesting to hear you talk about your, your, your how your father's view, the very strategic view of what was going on and how he had a really strategic approach to life. And maybe that speaks a little bit to your uh, very cl- clear sense of kind of purpose and goals in your life. Maybe that's all because we've talked about how you definitely think you got your sense of optimism from your father. Right. Maybe also your sense of goal orientation comes um, from him. I, I feel like I hear you saying that maybe a little bit and I'll, maybe we can go into that. Um, so tell me what kind of business was your father in when you were a child? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke, maybe first I should mention this, that I find our conversation so fun and <laughs> it, it feels so great to be here. <laughs> I feel like there are so many topics in everything that each of us are sharing that we can go deep into and uh, like i'm just like i want to continue talking for hours but i know that we have a kind of time limit uh, that we want to maintain in our talk so it's very good that you are putting this structure and like giving this a direction because i want to talk about everything and anything that yeah believe me i want to do the same thing it's like when you're out like hiking on a trail you've never been and you're like well i want to go down that one or that one you eventually have to pick one yeah but thank you for that i feel exactly the same way and really ultimately there's no time limit to our conversation right maybe this particular one but we can always come back but so so now coming back to the question what, what what line of work was your father in Mm-hmm. So he uh, started uh, as a, so I think he was working in a shoe factory that belonged to his uncle. And um, by like working for like maybe around 10 years in that industry, he was able to come up with his own way of wanting to do this and like building a network, maybe saving up and like a creating trust and credibility for himself and by the time he was 18 years old he had his own leather factory Mm. and uh, he has been mostly working uh, in that area for most of his life but by the time that the unfortunate uh, terrorist attack happened um, in the US um, the World Trade Center um there was uh, he was of course dealing with like different uh, projects at that time one of them was dealing with uh, uh italy and so he had like a trade uh, trade ship with a company in italy and at that time uh, you know no one wanted to make any deals with like middle eastern countries anymore he has had sent i think the biggest um party of uh his like productions to italy and just because of that happening uh, the people who already signed the contract with him, they said, we have to stop this. We want to send this back. Or he, he even couldn't get them back because everything was a stop. It was like a shock in the whole um, process of this. So that was a big hiccup in his um, uh, work and his career. And that uh, made him transition into more real estate. And uh, till today, uh, even though he is in, his 70s he cannot stop working and he just like finds different projects and different (laughs) people to work with and i think i believe most of his um focus is on real estate today okay so i wanted so when you talked about the world trade center attack you were that that heavily influenced his business you were talking about 2001 right 9-11 i guess yeah and that, that that heavily i guess um yeah that that I think the probably the restrictions on Iranian companies doing business with the United States and other countries is probably still restricted today, right? Even, um, but you, what what I want to pinpoint in your conversation was you, you you first of all one reflection I have is that sounds you know you talked about him working from age seven in his 
a shoe factory, right? What was it? His yeah. relative's shoe, his father's shoe factory, or no? uh, his uncle? His uncle's shoe factory. Um, yeah. Yes, yes. It sounds okay. like, and then you know, he did that so well to the point where he had then his own factory. It sounds like an American story, or or what we like to think mm. is sort of like an iconic American story. Um, so interesting to hear that commonality in in two you know cultures that want to sometimes make themselves so different that you know the stories of success are really actually exactly the same. But tying back to the optimism piece, I mean that was his. I mean, I guess the the, the time from which he was seven years old and started to two thousand one. I mean, we're talking about. 40, 50 years there, right? I guess maybe 45 years or something, I guess, to just doing quick. Yes, practice. yes. That's a long life's work. And you talked about how then that sort of almost crippled his business and he had to pivot to something else. You described it as a hiccup in his career. <laughs> the real estate, I see what I see in that is not, I'm not trying to say you made an understatement. I see optimism and I see, I guess he, I want to kind of go into what was that like for him? Um, what do you remember of that when his, I'm looking at it as, you know, his life's work must have been almost kind of totally destroyed at that point or significantly, significantly affected. Is that right? Yes, completely. Uh, Luke, uh, thank you for bringing more light to this. I think that I'm a little bit spoiled growing up with him, sometimes forgetting how special of a personality he is, but actually I'm so fascinated by my father's characteristic and by the influence and inspiration that he has had uh, on my life through the whole time that I've been alive, that I've been thinking about uh, writing his uh, biography and I've started um, series of interviews with him to like try to look at him from a different point of view. And uh, I started thinking about why would a seven-year-old want to willingly go to work and not want to play or like just have a relaxed time and be a kid? And I actually asked uh, that question of him in um, the first time that I uh, brought it up. And uh, his response to that was, uh, I wanted to invite my friends to the movies and I didn't have any money in my pocket. So I realized I have to go to work if I want to do the things that I like. And uh, this is, um, so to put a, maybe to portray a picture of what, how his life was and how he uh, transformed it. Uh, my father was grown into a poor family uh, at the time and uh, living in a very like southern parts of Tehran you know Tehran and Iran in general a lot of social classes exist and where you live is a kind of like in relation to your status and uh, now living in Sweden everything is so like uh, on the same level yeah. everyone is yeah. living in such uh, in such a similar level that to me is becoming very strange that I was living in a country that this much social difference existed but that is the reality and we cannot change it so that he was born into a very uh, poor family and um, he uh, by by the way that he went on with the uh, work process that uh, or the career process that I uh, summarized, by the time I was born, we were living in the best neighborhood of the whole country. And to me, that is um, apart from the materialistic uh, point of view to it. To me, that is someone who has been able to transform their life to the way that they wanted it to. And uh, I find that extremely inspiring. And the fact that he has always been the strongest person, the most resilience I can find, I have seen in him. And this brings me to the point that you brought up about his, the hiccup that I yeah. mentioned. That of course was maybe the most, one of the most difficult things that he has gone through. And of course it had a very um, extensive weight on all of us as a family, 
because uh, one part of my father's way of uh, working and dealing with life was that since he was so passionate, invest passionately invested in his work, that means a lot of that work will come into the family. He was having meetings at home, always on the phone calls, trying to solve problems, trying to like find better ways of doing things. And that means when he goes through such a crisis, the kids also go through it to an extent. And as a kid, that was definitely traumatizing for mm -hmm. me to see my father, to see my mom, my brothers, uh, all in such devastation that so much uncertainty, like what is going to happen? And the most consistent emotion that I remember from that time was that my father was constantly so calm and collected, mm -hmm. continuously reminding us that he's going to protect us, he's going to protect what ha he has provided for us, and that he will not let anyone disturb that. Um, and as a kid, that to me was maybe it's not fully true it doesn't need to be fully true but just to hear him just to see him going through that stress mm. uh, but staying this collected person i think it has had both positive and negative effects yeah. on me mm. Um, and to give you a little bit of glimpse of what has been happening during that time was um, it, this is very emotional for me. So it's uh, it's difficult uh, to go into it, but I want to give you like a real taste of what we were going through. So during the most difficult time, uh, because uh, this was the biggest party he has sent in his whole career to Italy. Of course, he always uh, like loan, you always loan money to be able to make this production and then you sell it and then you pay back the loans. And so this was a big loan that he uh, had uh, received. And this meant if the party is not being sold and you don't know for how long it's going to be stuck in customs and what is it going to be like, how is it going to be back? That means that you are not getting paid for it. And the people who loaned him money, of course, they are like, okay, we cannot just stay here. You need to pay, pay us back in one way or another and um, they were coming to our house trying to find him so that they can take him to like the court or to jail and um, imagine that like yeah one night we're just sitting as a family and there are some people who are trying to like break our door to just come inside mm. and um, my father and my brother trying to uh, like escape him in a way and you don't know as a kid like what are these people going to do they are still human they are not like yeah. uh, violent people but as a kid you don't know what's going no. to happen um, and this is during so, just to, just to clarify so so this is what was kind of happening as a result of uh the disruption of a major deal he had that was disrupted exactly. as a result of the 9-11 attacks exactly wow. yes yes excuse me wow um, uh, yeah that is uh i can i thank you for for giving us that that glimpse of and it's you know on on so many levels um you know to think of how that impacted lives um of people who had nothing mm -hmm. to do with it right um mm -hmm. yeah so so and and how so y this was happening in front of you and you had you you had all this going on for months i assume or yeah, uh, so the intensity of it was maybe for like maybe a couple of months, but the whole story dragged out during years that he had to like find different ways to pay off these loans and like get back on his feet. And uh, he had like a major car accident during this time mm -hmm. as well. That didn't help anything. Um, but uh, to go back to the part that I mentioned that this whole happening and his way of being had positive and negative effects on me. The positive was that, okay, 
life can get the most stressful way that you can imagine it to be but you can still stay yourself you can still stay your true version of mm -hmm. yourself and find ways to solve things that i learned from my father that i can see today that when it gets really hard when it gets really challenging i can find a little ray of sunlight in me that just by staying focused you can get through this mm -hmm. so this has been a major help on many occasions in my life but on the other side this has made my father in my eye as a child a hero mm -hmm. and i think that i have relied a lot on him and my family for most of my life and that means that i have not by the time i was 27 and when i moved to sweden by that time i have not explored myself as a human being because the comfort that i see in these people around me is so overpowering that it i think it takes you to a place of really feeling that life is okay and whatever happens there are people who can fix things and like this has been my truth as a child my whole life that whatever happens there will be my father who will fix things wow that's amazing that ability to see there's a couple of things a, a number of things in there that are amazing the, the last thing you talked about is that what i'm seeing there is sort of this idea that there's no matter the situation there's sort of a light and a dark side to it maybe uh, or a bright and a shadow side or something like that, right? Um, I want to go back to your description of, you know, how he remained resilient and, and consistent mm -hmm. or, you know, through a really, really difficult period for him and your family as his, his you know, his entire life's work was disrupted. Um, and come back to in the in the six seconds model, just for our audience, the, the piece about mm -hmm. exercising optimism. Um, the idea there is not really that, you know, uh, I think a lot of times when we talk about optimism, people may think of that as just being a person who has a sunny outlook all the time, who kind of always sees the bright side of life. And there are people, I guess, who are like that, like that have like a, a kind of an optimistic set point. There are blind optimists in the world who just kind of choose not to see what's going on. But then, you know, for most of us, optimism actually is a kind of a cognitive type of skill that can be learned. And it sounds like it's something that your father became very good at, whether he was trying to become good at it or not. It's just something they became very good at in his life. And that's really about like when you're encountering according to the six seconds model, the way you would learn to become optimistic, which is this is something I have to be very conscious of in my life because I don't I don't have an optimistic set point. I think probably my experience with my father, which we could go into in another podcast, was very much the opposite of many of the things that you described. But um, um, in terms of practicing, exercising optimism, which we would say in the six seconds model, there's like kind of three areas to it. One is to say, um, one is is to say that, you know, it's time limited, um, that whatever the circumstances are, you know, the feelings that you're experiencing around them will fade. Um, and you and you have to understand that that will happen. And the circumstances probably will change as well. And if we have, to, when we're caught in those circumstances, we might it, it tends to be a natural feeling like this is going to go on forever and I'm never going to find my way out of it. But you, it, when you can remind yourself that the circumstances will fade, then it gives you, then it kind of brings down the intensity. The second piece is, uh, of it is that, is that the scope of the issue, even though it can, can be overwhelmingly huge as it was in your father's case, there are still aspects of life that it doesn't actually it doesn't have actually impact like you know from his point of view you were still his daughter he still had his family still had his mm -hmm. home those kinds of th things um so if we remind ourselves the things that our problem does and doesn't actually affect um and then the third piece, which it sounds like your father was really, really good at, is the is the idea that with some effort, I can create a change in these circumstances. Um, so remembering those three things and practicing, you know, reminding yourself to practice those things under difficult circumstances, that's how we actually develop optimism. And it gives us a sense of kind of influence over things that that are affecting us in the world. And even as you said, even even if the only thing you can can influence, you know, the 
And boy, he had circumstances that were just global and massive, right? And it could be easily imagine a person, you know, kind of being emotionally crushed under the weight of those circumstances. Like, what did I do to deserve this kind of thing? But he, you pointed this out, you record, you said that he um, recognized that even if the only thing he could control was his own attitude toward the circumstances. That's one thing that really can never be taken away. If you've, I don't have you ever heard of the book *Man's Search for Meaning* by Viktor Frankl? No, I haven't. Oh, that's a that's a recommendation for you. It's one that I know you would like. And it's great. It's a it's, it's about he's, he was a he was a psychiatrist who was uh, who was captured in the in the Holocaust. He was a Jewish psychiatrist captured in the Holocaust and had his life's work, his thesis, with him in his jacket, sewn into his jacket, and it was taken away. And you know, it's it's a whole his whole story about how literally, you know, literally everything that could be taken away from him was taken away, but never his his attitude never his sense of that ray of hope and that was the one thing that could never be taken away so that mapping that back to the sense of exercise optimism there is always something that can never be taken away from us as long as we're still you know there as long as we're still alive um and it sounds like your father was a really interesting example of that Yes, that is very interesting look to uh, look at his actions from this point of view, more like of an uh, like psychological aspect of his behavior. That is very beautiful. Thank you for uh, showing me uh, how to think about it when I'm thinking about his actions. One of the things that I remember from him, this has been maybe the most common phrase he kept repeating and it was that the future will be better so whenever i asked him if i felt that he is a little bit stressed a little bit in his thoughts a little bit more quiet than usual because my father like you said he was the exact opposite of someone like uh, rainbows and uh, sunshine from yeah. outside he has yeah. been the most uh, one of the most serious people i have seen in my life uh, so um in being observant of his behavior if i saw like he is a little bit like in himself i would ask how are you how is like work what are you doing what are you feeling and one thing that was consistent among all of these conversations was that he said that um he calls me baba jun uh, in persian it, it means like dear dad and so he calls me by his own name and he says that <laughs> baba jun and life or future will be better i'm sure and you can be sure of it so to, to this phrase, I completely know, even when I was a child, I know that this is not the truth. No one knows that future, how will it be? But like you said, it is the attitude to have. Is it, it is the attitude of whatever future presents to me, I can stay myself and I get to choose how to interact with that piece of life being handed to me. Yeah. And so that is very interesting. Yeah, gosh, there's so much to think about there. Um, <laughs> there are, we have a thousand, uh, a thousand things to get to, and only maybe seven more minutes. So we have to choose maybe one, maybe one thing we have to choose to get to before we we wrap up this particular episode. I can imagine we may have future. Um, but um, so tell me about then. You talked about. Um, you talked about your exploration of the world be, be you know, kind of as now I, I see as a, like as a process of sort of maybe moving out from your father's orbit, right? Which your father, you mm -hmm. know, for some of us, maybe it's almost like the, the, the moon orbits around the earth, right? But it sounds like in your case, maybe it was more like almost orbiting around Jupiter, some, some, somebody with a very large uh, gravitational pull, right? Because your father was such a powerful yeah. figure in your life. And you then made a conscious decision, um, I guess, to move away and to explore outside of Iran. And you've ended up in Sweden, which I, I get you, you pointed out, which on so many levels couldn't be more opposite of growing up in Iran, I guess, right? 
Um, so talk about, so then tell me what, you know, what has that meant for you? What are one or two things that have become different for you as a result of, you know, moving outside of your culture where you grew up and moving of being away from your family and now more on your own? Mm -hmm. So I think uh, the most major thing is being exposed to many different people with many different backgrounds. I have studied here in Sweden. That means I was in touch with a lot of international students and I tried to get myself into as many occasions that I can be involved with um, interacting with international students and then trying to run uh, our business parallel to studying because that is how we like run our lives and i wanted to continue and pursue that that i in a way i feel connected to my father that my business my career is like so uh, hand in hand going with my a personal life that I wanted to continue and pursue that while studying. So all of these experiences, like the need to network in order to be able to establish myself in this new country and um, being in touch with both uh, a lot of Swedish people and also a lot of international people, I think that brought the opportunity to observe how people are when they come from different backgrounds. And I think that has helped a lot with looking at myself with more empathy, empathy and understanding of it's okay, however you are, you don't need to be this perfect human being that you think your father is and you need to also be you can be your own way of being that has been something that has changed majorly for me mm. and the other one is definitely the fact that i'm away from the comfort of my family i haven't seen my family for four years now four years and a few months now and that has never happened in my life before and that uh, has been um, uh, accumulation of pandemic being part of it and then um, another part of it my own decision of not wanting to go back to be with them because I was I felt that I'm in this transition mode that I need to focus and continue uh, this path no matter how much I wanted to be like in their like embrace uh, and like smell my mom or like just be with my sisters but I felt that there will be a reward if I just continue. And it has been uh, very luckily. And I think that um, going back to their comfort, even though if it was for like a few weeks or a, few, a couple of months, that, will, that would have brought back the taste of like, okay, life is okay, however it is. You don't need to like grow out of your shell you don't need to like break this shell that you thought you have built for yourself and to be able to realize that you are much more than what you thought you are and to be able to really get to know yourself and to meet your truth this is where i am right now and i am extremely happy and as you see sad about it <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's a thank you so much for for, um, for sharing that with us. It, and it's incredible in, in what I hear and everything you say is that is this um, this kind of wholeness of it. Right. When you just talk now, when your your emotion is coming through and you say, I feel I'm so happy, but also sad, you know, it's th sort of the wholeness of it and, and how you this commitment to your search for growth is is really inspiring i think and that you accept that it comes with you know we have many times when we talk about emotions we get caught in in talking about positive and negative emotions which i think is not really a way we should would talk about it because that inha almost inherently says well we should search only for the positive ones right and then the negative ones are bad mm -hmm. and we we want to go away from those the reality is we're always going to feel all of them, right? They're all, they're all always going to be present. And there are some that are nice to feel and some that are not as nice to feel, but they all have a function. 
they, they all mean something. They all tell us something about how we're experiencing the world. And, you know, that growth is going to to include some nice to feel emotions and some not nice to feel emotions. And if we want to pursue that, we have to accept the whole of it. Yeah. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. A lot to a great extent. I think a beautiful aspect of uh, Persian culture is that sadness and sorrow has beauty in it. And that has been something that I have learned from my mom. Uh, like when she was cooking in the kitchen, she could be like uh, serenading a very like um, sad song, but still being in her essence and mm. being in like the fullest version of herself, cooking a very like, um, comfort uh, meal for the whole family so being sad didn't mean all the time that it's a negative thing it could be like beautiful sadness that has been something that i've been wondering a lot about uh, like you explained that negative feelings are thought to be negative and are thought to be bad mm. but um it exists i'm sure in a lot of cultures different aspects of it exist that negative feelings can be beautiful and like you mentioned uh, in a different way can complement a positive um uh, emotion yeah and they're part of the whole and uh, that's really exactly you want to find the whole and that's what you're on this fantastic and beautiful search for in your in your life and um i thank you so much for for sharing you know these glimpses of your story with us because it's a it's a wonderful story i want to just give you a chance before we before we disconnect i want to give you a chance to just um Tell us the name of your, your branding agency that you work with, because I right now I actually want to start a company just so I can work with you on branding. I'm so inspired with, you, <laughs> with your story. Um, tell us the name, the name of the company and again, just so we know. Um, yes. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Luke. I, I look forward and cannot wait to uh, work more with you. Um, the name of our branding agency is Shiraz and Daryan. Okay, Shiraz and Darion, and we'll put and that can... on the, we'll put that on the screen when we publish the uh, when mm -hmm. we publish the podcast. Um, if anyone, so that if anyone wants to get in touch, they can. Uh, Zara Shirazi, thank you so much for joining us on the Spirit of EQ podcast today. It's been a fantastic privilege to to speak with you. Thank you very much, Luke. I will forever keep this uh, talk with me, and I look forward to to our future conversations. Thank you, Luke. Bye, Zara. Hi, everyone. This is Eric again. A couple of things as we've ended the show. We hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully, you're tuning in on a regular basis. We'd love it if you would give us a great review on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast. It's so appreciative and helps us as we try to get more exposure for the work we do and the episodes that we publish. And we're grateful to you as a listener. The second thing is just remember our content is for educational purposes only. It's not intended by any stretch to diagnose or to treat anything that may be occurring in your life or anyone else's life that you may be connected to through the podcast. But once again, we appreciate you tuning in to the shows. And as always, we look forward to the next time that we're together. Take care.